attention architects, and creative minds. Get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. All right, Entree Architect community, it's time for context and clarity. The reason that I come to you every day is so that we can find clarity around the things that matter most to you, the architect. And it doesn't matter if you're the employee of a firm. Maybe you dream of starting your own firm. Maybe you even said 2021 is my year and you're on the runway to starting your own firm. Maybe you've had a firm for a year or 10 years or 20 years and you're starting to rethink, reimagine what your firm could or should be. All of the topics that we cover, one topic every day, fall under the broad umbrella of the business of architecture, and they are the need-to-know topics for the success of architects just like you. By Facebook community, Entree Architect community, LinkedIn community, Twitch, all the architects out there on Twitch. It's 4 p.m. Eastern, which means it's time for Context and Clarity Live. Thank you for joining us today. I'm here again, as usual, on Thursday afternoons, joined by my co-host, Catherine McPhail. Hi, Catherine. How are you? Great. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing all right. Testing the technology out today. We're trying to break the internet again this week, so... We broke it at my house. (laughs) So here's, here's a little fun fact. Two days in a row now, we have lost power. Uh completely in our neighborhood and we of course you want to find out why you've lost power i think we paid our bill uh (laughs) and as it turns out two days in a row there have been accidents where someone has run into a pole and knocked the power line down so i don't know what the deal is driving in indianapolis but um, is it it icy or anything or not today it has been but not not the last two days not it then yeah i don't know i don't know 
We've got a few people rolling in. So thank you, everybody, for joining us. As you roll in, uh, again, if you joined us last week, if you're on Facebook, we're a little bit challenged. We're going to try to say hi, if we can, by name. We see you. You can see the the uh, comments and questions up on the screen today, which is a great thing. I like that. Um, but for everybody that's out there on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on uh, YouTube, or on Twitch, welcome to Context and Clarity Live. I think we've got an exciting conversation lined up today. We're going to have another special guest today, as we do now every Thursday afternoon. And the topic that we're going to discuss today, once we get into it, is technology and architecture. We're going to ask questions like, how is technology changing the practice of architecture? Uh, who's driving that change, perhaps, is a question that we will uh, will address as well. And so as we get into this, number one, get ready for the conversation with our special guest who I'll introduce here in just a minute. But think about what's going on in your firm. What is challenging you? Um, is there technology that's entering the profession that you're that you're afraid of, that's scaring you right now, that you're concerned about. Uh, we want to know what your questions are. Catherine is uh, really good at combing through the uh, comments and looking for those questions. We're going to get them in front of our guests today, and that'll help us drive the conversation today. So again, thank you for joining us. As you come in, say hi. Let us know that you're here. Uh, thank you to the Facebook users who have done us the favor of self-identifying. I uh, really appreciate that. So we see you, Tim. We see you, Barry, John Kenny, all of you. Margarita, I see you over there on LinkedIn. So thanks for joining us. Um, again, we are streaming everywhere all across the internet. So I uh, hope to have lots of friends joining us here today. What do you think about this technology, Catherine? Oh, well, I don't know. You keep saying I'm good at it, which is increasing the pressure, I feel like. Now, I, now I'm now i really going to mess it up. But I, I, I appreciate when people do put their initials. So JFK, I know who you are. Tim, you can just put TD. So I'll try to keep up with who's out there just by the initials. That'll be my <laughs> job. Good. Uh, it's, it's, uh, one of the great things about these conversations. There's Brian McCartney over there on LinkedIn. Hi, Brian. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Portland, Maine must be Mike Maines and recognize the location at least. Um, one of the great things about context and clarity, we've been, we've been hosting this show starting inside the Entre Architect Community Facebook group on April 6, 2020. So John Kenny's got to remind me, what is it, Saturday, John? I think it'll be 10 months of context and clarity. Um, now, every Thursday afternoon, we're breaking outside of the walls of, of the uh, community there in Facebook. But I know that we'll still have a large part of our, our community there inside the Entre Architect group. Um, but it's also... Um, I think it's also really interesting to be able to meet people where they are. Um, Nikita Morell is down under. She's in Australia. Hi, Nikita from over there on LinkedIn. Great to have you. Um, that's one of the reasons. Nikita is one of the reasons that we wanted to expand this conversation outside of the Facebook group, bring in a special guest so that we could dig deeper into some of the most uh, popular topics of uh, context and clarity and um, just see where this conversation goes. So I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. So am I. Should we introduce our guest? Yes. He's over there. I see in him. Green. He looks ready. I think he is ready. Yeah. 
I think he is. Some of you are going to know this guest. Some some of you have actually read the post and read the announcement, so you already know who the <laughs> guest is. But <laughs> but uh, but uh, Evan Troxel, who is our guest, I'm going to pull Evan out of the green room. Hi, Evan. Hey, everybody. Evan's no stranger to uh, the Entree Architect community. He's a he's a member. He's a long time uh, face around the the parts of architecture and the Entree Architect community. He's an architect. He's been in the world of architecture, the practice of architecture for a few years, about what over two decades, right? Just a few, yeah. Yeah, Evan's Evan's old like me, um, much older than Catherine is, and <laughs> I'm. A- I'm older than you, just for the record, Jeff. I just want to own that because I've been working on it all this time. Hey, if, you, <laughs> if you want to own it, you can have it. That's it. I'm older it's all than yours. Jeff. I said it. <laughs> right. So, and all right. I guess so, older than Evan too. I mean, not that we're talking about that today, but well, well, we're not. But that's all right. We've got three old people on the on the line today. <laughs> um, but the great thing is, Evan is an architect. Evan works in an architecture firm. However, he's the director of digital practice in um in the firm where he is over at hmc architects how many how many employees are at hmc these days evan it's a good question i think it's around 335 350 something like that okay so not a small firm not a giant but not a small firm at all and and uh evan is in charge of their digital practice over there he is also uh, co-founder and co-host of the Arc Speak podcast, which I'm sure most of you have heard of, if not all of you. And starting last year, um, he launched a new podcast to the host called Troxel. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Yeah, that's it. Troxel. And uh, you can find Troxel and Arc Speak wherever you consume podcasts. Um, or you can go to gablemedia.com, G-A-B-L media.com, which is the home of Troxel. It's the home of ArcaSpeak. It's the home of the Entree Architect podcast, the Build Your Brand, um, a handful of other podcasts, plus a couple of video channels now. So if you're, if you're looking for media to consume, especially focused on the built environment, um, gablemedia.com, G-A-B-L media.com is a great place to go. And like I said, you can find both of Evan's podcasts over there. You can also find now the new um, daily Context and Clarity podcast. So spend five minutes with your coffee every morning and uh, get a review or an update on what we talked about yesterday and a preview of what we're going to talk about today. That's why we started that particular podcast. So Context and Clarity is over there on Gable as well as uh, everywhere. Everywhere. Just everywhere. <laughs> just everywhere. Yep. Welcome, everywhere. Evan. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great. So when we think about technology, when I was recording the podcast episode for today, I started thinking about my career. You know, I, I, I graduated, when did I graduate? I graduated in 92, I think, um, or, or 93, I guess. Did my internship in 92. Uh, the firm, Catherine and I talked about this the other day, the firm that I worked for, the two architecture partners went to IIT in Chicago and they had Mies van der Rohe as their professor. Okay. So the, these weren't young guys, even back then. And I am convinced that I was hired because I knew how to turn on the one computer that they had in the office. Yeah. I used to be able to go to my grandparents' house and set the clock on the VCR. That's, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So 
That's hard to do, actually. It was. Yeah. yeah Especially today. Yeah. You've got to find the cord for the VCR if you're going to do it today. <laughs> no, they're wireless. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> we've, we've come a long way, right? See from technology right there. Right there. From yeah. being hired because you can turn a computer on to whatever it is that you're doing at HMC, you know, whatever the cutting edge is, that's a, that's a big gap. That's a lot of change. It is. And, and you talk about these types of things on, on Troxel with super interesting guests and super interesting conversations. What do you see? Um, how, how would you quantify maybe the speed of change? Can you do that? Can you, oh, can, you look, can you look back and go, okay, this is where we were. This is how far we've come. This is where we're headed. The acceleration, how fast it's going. What, what do you think about the speed of, the ch- of change? I, everyone's probably sick of hearing me say this, but there's two things that architects hate. And those two things are the way things are and change. <laughs> and we've, we are in the middle of that all the time. Right. So some days it feels like, uh, like everything's frozen over and you're walking through molasses and other days feels like, uh, like you're moving at light speed. And so because it's all kind of happening at the same time, that's, that's a really hard question to answer because in, in some ways I can look at a transformation like the one that our firm went through earlier last year to basically get 350 offices up and running over the course of a week um, from seven physical offices, right. Um, To trying to get architects to use a smarter tool because it will provide further benefit and value in the future versus the short-term payoff that you might get by using an older tool today, because you're so well-versed in it and so comfortable with it. Um, that's a really hard change to make. That change management is incredibly difficult to make um, because it's uh, you're fighting kind of human nature at that point, right? People, people are really wanting to feel like they're in control and learning new tools means you are not in control at some level, right? You're it's painful process to go through. So um, it's all over the map. And, and, I would have to say in a firm like ours, we've never seen so much change in such a short period of time in the, as in like the last 18 months to two years. So before pandemic times as well, but at the same time, like we have so far to go, there's just an institution of that size with that many departments and people and uh, processes and workflows and standards that have been around for a very long time, take a very long time to change. Evan, I have kind of a relevant question that came in, um, did you invent the position that you have at your firm I right did. now? And is I your did, realm yeah. just, just building production or is it um, like management software and every part of technology? It, it's technology as it relates to the practice of architecture. So it's not IT type stuff that, that my department is doing. And it is an overhead department. Um, and it kind of takes, I think it, that's what it actually took, at least in our institution, to make it work. Because... It can't be somebody's side job. It has to be something that people are dedicated to and that the company dedicates resources to do. Um, and it can't be something where, you know, because if, if, if I'm a senior project designer, as I was before I took on this role and basically created this department and the structure and everything, if a project deadline is there, that is what gets all of your attention, no matter what. 
right? right. Um, that's no different in any firm. So no, no matter what the size is either. So if you can't fully focus on uh, digital transformational change within the company, a hundred percent, it's very hard to do. So that's why mm-hmm. we instituted it in the way that we did. Okay. That makes sense. And I think coming at it as a design problem, as a architectural designer for so long, really helped me because uh, I'm really comfortable with it being a messy process. Like so many architects are, we start with a blank page we design a building based on a program. It could go a million different directions. It all depends on who's involved. I think that you know, creating this department in our firm was very similar to that process. And being able to communicate as designers do have to and engage clients and different stakeholders throughout the process, I basically turned that inward to our firm and treated it like that process throughout the, the life cycle of creating it. That's really interesting. You know, you, you've mentioned several different things. I mean, human nature, obviously. Um, That's and, the hardest part. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of humans involved and there's a lot of yeah. messy, you know, humans are messy and there's a lot of mess involved. So, um, but I think a lot of times, at least when I think about technology, I might think of, well, AI, which maybe we'll touch on AI or, or AR or BIM or whatever. And, and several people, I'm, I'm watching the comments a little bit and, and uh, several p- people mentioned pencils. And, and back to the story of my internship, 99.9% of, of what we did was with pencils or, or ink even. Yeah. Um, and John Kenny mentioned teletype. Um, but it's not, it's not even just the tools, right? And you mentioned this. No. It's processes, it's, it's systems. It's the and culture. <laughs> it's culture. The culture. That's a really good yeah. point. Right. Really good point. We made a, a big a big intentional decision to affect the culture of the firm and interweave technology in as many threads through that as we could so that there became a vocabulary and a consistency throughout the staff of the firm. Uh, It was very intentional to affect the culture and not just be a group within the larger company, but we call it digital practice. And the way that I position that is, well, eventually this is just going to be practice. This is what everybody's going to do. We're just calling it something now so that we know that we're, what we're talking about. But eventually, this is just the new skill set for the future of this firm. And it won't be called digital practice then. It'll just be how we practice. So I have a, I have a question about, you said in the last 18 months, I think you said everything yeah. has changed or years to 18 months. And what mm-hmm. made, what started that change? What happened that, was there some uh, new... It was, it was, I had a slowdown in my project work and I have always been kind of a technologist in the architectural field. I taught emerging technology at the local university in the architecture department for over a decade. And so I've always kind of had this, this is my specialty. This is my passion. I know that it can help us uh, do things that we can imagine. Right. And I, I really, just have a passion for that. And I identified an enormous hole. Like our, our BIM support group was literally just that, right? It was like, how do you fix my Revit model today? Because it's crashing. And it wasn't, it was much more reactionary and I wanted to create something much more proactive about the future of the company. And so um, I just started having those conversations as much as I could with the CEO and the senior leadership group uh, in, in, until we got to a point where they really understood the vision of what could be. And we created an entire new group that supports the entire firm uh, in that way. 
Okay. So it was no new invention that spurred. It was just your time that you dedicated to. And lots of firms have done this. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't like we were, we were just inventing a new thing for us. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. And and to me, it's also interesting that, uh, you know, you're talking about a firm of 300 plus people. Uh, Now I, I fully recognize that many of the people in the audience today may be in small firms or, or definitely smaller than 300. Maybe we have some from larger firms as well, but we've we've got a couple in the audience. I, I saw John Kenny and I see Christian. Uh, they're both there. They're both focused on. Uh, uh, forgive me both for saying it this way, but on the production side, uh, John is very focused on on um, systems and templates, uh, and and. Um, and Christian is providing services for other architects. So, so they're, they are uh, using the tools or applying the tools. I know uh, John, and I think he's even mentioned in a comment here already talking about, um, you, you know, how to implement these tools. And, and you used the word culture a minute ago, which I think is, yeah. has to be key to the success that you've had so far. Yeah. But I also wonder if if someone is sitting going, and I, I Leslie, I see you, she, Leslie's solo. If mm-hmm. someone's going, well, you know, I'm a one person or a three person firm, and Evans in a three hundred person firm. Mm-hmm. Is there is there a huge difference other than scale, obviously? But is there a huge difference? Can can a one or three person firm exist? do the things that you're talking about without actually implementing their own small culture uh, to do the same thing? I mean, absolutely. It's kind of the same thing. And I don't think that the scale matters. If a question came up on Twitter the other day uh, where George Valdez over at Monograph Mm -hmm. HQ posed the question, what would you like to see in a project template? And some people immediately start thinking, what production tools are using. I think he's thinking of it from a bigger scope. How do we approach doing project work? Do we systematize that enough? And, and my response was, are we still, I can't believe we're still talking about this. I mean, honestly, we are still talking about this, but if you're a one person firm or a 300 person firm, the more things that you can systematize, the more things, more expertise that you can codify into blocks that you can apply to every single project or nearly every single project lets you focus on stuff that's way more important as an architect and the things that you can do that are make that make your projects different from you know just a, a contractor doing it instead of an owner engaging an architect to make it a reality i would rather focus on the design part. I would rather focus on the inspiration part. I would rather focus on the special parts and never draw certain kinds of details again and never lay out parking again and never lay out a toilet room again in a Mm. school, right? For instance. So um, I think that the things that we find ourselves doing over and over and over again, it's it's amazing to me that we use every product. We can actually justify it on every single project to draw all that stuff every single time. Um, but that's a choice. And so we have to realize that that's a choice. And, and some people I think are very comfortable doing that stuff. And then there's other people who see the possibility of not having to do that stuff and all of the things you can do, spend that time on instead. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, sure if, 
I don't, I'm not sure if I got to the heart of your question about culture there, but I think, you know, from a fundamental level, I think there's a lot of people who look at standards and templates and things as handcuffs. And I actually look at them as freedom. So I, I was kind of wondering what exactly we're talking about when you're saying adopting a new technology. So you're talking about like new like BIM software. Are you talking about just using the, the templates or what one of your guests was talking about recently about computers that could think for themselves when it comes to laying out um, offices or school buildings and what, so what kind of technology are you talking about in, in your firm? Yeah, I think for the most part, it's not, it's not like the typical features that you're talking about in Revit um, that, that we're talking about. We're talking about more, um, it's a terrible word to use, but more bespoke kind of solutions to these kinds of problems. Bespoke, so that's if so you're, like anti-technology word right there, it's really, <laughs> <yeah>. right? <laughs> uh, it's, it's uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of companies out there focusing on really special tools that do one thing really well. Uh, which is kind of very different from the way Autodesk would approach a problem, which is we're going to make the thing that does everything, but none of it really well. Right. Um, and, and a lot of that comes down to the users for sure. And like how much they know about the tool and how to use it. Um, because, because that that's an unfair generalization because there's definitely, you can do so many things in the platform. And most people think that a lot of those things aren't possible in those platforms. But now there's this new kind of class of platforms that is not trying to solve the whole thing that can do really interesting, fast and iterative work that you can't do without it. Like you, you could come up with three schemes in the course of a week for a client uh, but a computer can come up with a lot more than that, right? And it doesn't mean they're good. Like most of them are bad, actually. But, uh, and, and it's not, I'm not trying to make an argument for generative design, but that's the kind of tools I'm talking about, Leslie or Catherine. So if you're, if you're actually thinking like, what are those, what are these things we're talking about? It's generative design tools. It's environmental analysis tools. It's what real-time rendering tools. It's VR. It's things that put clients in their space so that they can experience it before it gets built and mm -hmm. really understand it. Whereas it's really hard for them to understand a set of drawings. Right. Yeah. So that kind of stuff. I, I think that's a really important point. And, and a lot of what you're just talking about gets to, I see a question from Hans on the screen about general tech approach versus early adopter, et cetera. And I think, I think you explained that, that really well. It, it's, it's the things that you need. And, and I like the purpose. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and this is one thing that I've, I've wondered about for years. When, when architects, and I don't want to throw architects under the bus, but, you know, this is part of the conversation. You know, we, I drew this elevation. We've got all these elevations. We've got all these plans. And the client was still surprised when whatever, you know, can't, don't they understand, you know, they yeah, may not right. get quite to that level, but isn't that the job, right? Isn't, isn't it the responsibility of the architect to convey in whatever means necessary, this is what the space is going to look like. It's going to feel like it's, it's going to be like, this is how you're going to use it. And to yeah. me, it's, it's now you have incredible tools at, at your disposal disposal yeah. to to convey that mm. yeah and i think you know there, there's the way that we've always approached this at digital practice at hmc is it's very much like a venn diagram in that all of these things that we're doing are connected 
and we have to do them all at the same time. So while we can be working on standards and templates and all of those kinds of things to make the day-to-day mundane stuff so that somebody doesn't have to think about it, we also want to be working on the stuff that is aspirational and directional and really how architecture can affect people on the highest levels. And so it's a, you've got to find a balance and kind of do it all there if you really want to be successful with it. Because there's some people who are going to speak that efficiency productivity language in the firm. And there's other people who are like, I don't care about that. I want to make, I want to change the world. And it's coming up with a balance in those things and really trying to fire on all cylinders at once to make that happen uh, for that, for the firm to be successful in the future. Because the, I've, I've adopted the, the thinking that we're never going to outdraw a contractor, like working at the scale of buildings that we work at, you know, how many times have we done a, a set of details that they never even look at, right? What was the point? Well, we, the purpose for us was to get it through the agency. The agency wanted to see that. It's been like with the stuff that we're doing, public work, you know, Department of State Architect wants to make sure that your fastener detail is, you know, tested properly, that it's that you're calling out for the right fasteners and spacing and all that kind of stuff. Contractor doesn't necessarily care about those things, right? So we're putting information into a model to spit out a set of drawings to get a permit. And then the contractor takes that model and says, what am I supposed to do with this? Right. They, so we're, we're saying, use the drawings. We're, we're actually saying, don't measure off the model. The model is a byproduct of getting us to this finish line. And you can see how this future of what is the future of deliverables is a big wide open question, right? Because we're still delivering drawings and we're saying you can't use the model and everybody's saying, but we want to use the model because it's all, all the information is already there. Right. And it's a, there's a complete mismatch of expectations and what we need to produce for a contractor to take that, to then build it are two completely different things. That's interesting. And it, it, it opens up that question and it puts actually puts a different spin on the, this question that I was expecting, I guess, on one level, um, you know, who's driving not only the technology, but who's driving, um, the purpose and the expectation of the technology. I mean, you just listed off several things right there that yeah. I think is great. You've got one expectation from the contractor, one expectation from the agency, another in-house, mm-hmm. and then another perhaps from the client side. That, that's a really interesting state. Yeah. And we also internally have kind of a, an arm wrestling match of what is the purpose of the model. And I mean, the real, the true answer is, it's probably 10 different things, right? It's visualization. It's to create construction documents. It's for energy modeling. It's for environmental analysis. It's for visualization. It's for BIM. It's for all these different, it's for quantity takeoffs. And I, and I think typical architects or typical project design team workers think about it as what does it mean to me? And they're not thinking about it as that larger, because it actually can be the same model for all those things but everybody has to understand that and ask the question, what do you need from me in this model to do what you need to do with it? Rather than I'm only going to do what I care about, which is what's going to show up on a, on a 3.2. Right. Hmm. You know, someone, someone just asked a question of whether they think that your position could work on a retail level so that someone could be someone like you servicing one 
person firms, like 500 one person firms with emerging mm -hmm. technologies. Do you think mm -hmm. you think that would be a possibility or is that like just a like a Revit rep or, or what does that look like? No, I think I think that's a platform. I think that's a fantastic opportunity for somebody to come along and create a platform that will kind of band together the resources of all of these disparate practices out there and give them some leverage in the technology space so that they could share resources uh, mm -hmm. and also help create standards so they don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. I mean, that's, that's actually the, one of the fundamental ideas behind a technology company that I'm really excited about, which is Hypar. If you look up Hypar, H-Y-P-A-R dot I-O, their thesis statement is architecture shouldn't have to start from the blank page. And so if we start to codify expertise, if every firm out there took a different piece of the puzzle and made it into a chunk of code that can then run as a function in line or in parallel with other functions to create a hospital. So if I'm an expert in ORs and somebody else is an expert in outpatient and that all needs to go in the same building, I could throw a those different functions in there and I don't have to be an expert in all of them, but yet we approach every single project like that. We're going to start from scratch, or maybe the client has a template for a certain type of space that we're going to plug in, but everything else is going to be custom. Um, I think that there's huge opportunities for platforms where architects can band together as a profession to stop having to start from a blank page every time mm -hmm. and really leverage each other's knowledge and trust that so that we can move forward together as a profession. There's so much where the competition is bred so deep within us from such an early age and we never let go of that. And I think it has really held our profession back. That's, that's a really interesting idea. And I think, you know, I, and, and I know there's going to be some tension there, right? There's the, the competitiveness, et cetera. There's the design, right? Everybody's, you know, they're drooling. I want to, I want to design. I want to design. There's that aspect of it. Um, and yet we, we design toilet rooms over and over and over again. And exactly. I'm not saying that that's not design because obviously there's design in all phases of a project, but <laughs> design is not a phase. That's a good saying. Um, but, but if you, if you really want to design, if you really want to compete, you should be competing on design. You should not be competing on all of this, stuff that you do on every single project that just fills time because all we do is sell time, right? So if I want to sell valuable time with valuable outcomes, I want to put my brain power towards the stuff that really inspires in a meaningful way, the communities that we live in and not the stupid stuff like parking layouts. Yeah. What, one of the first things that you said in this conversation today is that uh, these are my words, not your words, but basically we've built in the ability in our fee to design, to draw and design and detail all of these things every single time. Yeah. But to your point, and, you know, one of the things that we talk about in, in the Entree Architect environment a lot of time is how, how do we build stronger, more profitable practices? Why would you? Right. Yeah. Why would you just to exactly to your point, why would you every single time do a new parking layout? Yeah. Because that's even though it's in there in the budget, why is that? Yeah. Is that time spent on the parking layout or is it is it profit loss? Well, and I would say it's bad for your morale. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's 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 bad for your professional outlook. Right. If 
like what you want to do things that get you up in the morning and get you to want to do the work. And I don't think it's that stuff. Right. Well, <laughs> not my experience, maybe for somebody. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so architects banding together a platform where somebody has the OR uh, expertise and somebody has the outpatient expertise. We've got templates, we've got systems. How far are we? What's, what's the leap from that point? And we've talked about generative design. Mm -hmm. At what point does the technology start taking some of the scope away from us? Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I guess it just depends how you think about it. It already is taking some of that scope. I hope it's taking some away. Like HMC published a parking lot script on Hypar so that you never have to design a parking lot again, right? So, and seriously, like you can go through five iterations of a parking lot by moving a slider and you pick the one you like and it's gets you 90% of the way there. It doesn't solve every possible thing like where the trash enclosure goes and if you've got eight exits instead of three, but it's enough and it tells you how many parking spots are there and it tells you the lot coverage and it tells you how many trees are there in the islands and all that kind of stuff in three seconds, right? So who doesn't want to use a tool like that? Who doesn't want the computer to take that scope away? Um, it obviously doesn't mean we want it to take it all away, right? And you want to use this tool just as another tool in your toolbox. Just that's what you do now, right? So, I'm hoping that it, it takes over a lot of the scope a lot faster than we think. There's very deep implications into so many other avenues that, you know, go way beyond the drawing board though. I mean, there's contracts, there's insurance, there's agencies, there's all of those things that, that are huge players because architects have shied away from so much of that risk over time and given it away to these other things. And we're kind of waiting around for other people to tell us, um, I was speaking to a, a, a podcast guest for my show earlier today, and he was he did a deep dive into energy code across the United States and found out, to much to his dismay, that there are over 30,000 municipalities using a different variation of energy code. And so are these tools, can, can one tool solve for all of those constraints? No way. Right. And so then you start to step back and look at these larger problems. If we really wanted to get to model based delivery and we really wanted to get to model based code check so that we don't have to, you know, we can get 90 percent of the code check done without having to worry about it and really be able to trust it. These threads go so deep. And who should be solving those problems? Should we rely on municipalities? Should we rely on the federal government? I think there should be oversight there, but I think that we should own that. And so the real question then becomes, instead of working on architecture, how do we work on that stuff so that we can work on architecture? It is really a chicken and the egg problem. Right, right. That makes sense. There was a comment that popped up. Um, I think it was, uh, well, actually a couple. I saw Tim commented and then Dawn commented. And they're in a similar vein, I think. But when we're talking about the parking lot layout popping up in three seconds, Right. We may back of house, we may have included 20 hours for that parking lot layout or something. Mm -hmm. But now we have it in three seconds plus whatever it takes to actually customize that for the site. Tim's point is client doesn't need to know how you get it done. Dawn's point is 
they're going to keep client. They are going to keep expecting more for less. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that idea? If as as things get more efficient, if that's the right way to say it, I don't know that it is. But if with all of these tools, does the client then expect? Hey, your fee on that last hospital was one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I know you've got these tools. Your fee this time needs to be a hundred thousand dollars. Do you see that on the horizon because of this? Or oh, for uh, sure. But how would they ever know, though? How would they know unless? Well, there there are there definitely are instances where you have to prove how much time you spent on various Mm -hmm. things, right? And so. I know that there's there's large healthcare clients out there who you have to itemize everything that you do. And so it just depends, right? And and so is that going to happen? Yeah, that's going to happen. I guess you have to decide if that's the business that you want to be in or not. You if you're selling time for money, then everybody there's always going to be somebody who can do it in less time. Mm-hmm. But what is the value that you're providing? I'm sure that this has come up on Entrearchitect yeah. Community and these podcasts over and over and over again, which is what is the value proposition of architecture? What is a value proposition that you offer over a drafting service? What is a value proposition that your modeling does over drawing, right? So there's, there's a lot going on there. Rec- I recognize that, but you have to show the value. And I think one of the things that we should be thinking of instead of being just an early piece in the timeline of a project during the development of it and the synthesis of those ideas into something buildable. How do we stretch that out over a decade or two or three? Right. And so if you actually have the tools that can provide the data about performance of a building, if that's what matters or mental health of the occupants of a building, if that's what matters for instance, right. Or, environmental responsibility over time, how do you start to build that data into you helping your client operate their building better over the next two decades so that it achieves those goals and so that you can prove it? And maybe instead of getting paid just in the first one to three years of a project, you get paid over 30 years of a project and you have that relationship. And you're bringing value over a longer period of time. I just, I think that there's other possibilities. And I, I saw this alarming statistic about this time last year, which was architects touch 1% of the world's built environment. 1%. And who pays for that 1%? The 1%, right? The richest people in the world pay to build buildings, right? They're the ones who actually own and operate the buildings. So we do 1% for the 1%. What does that leave? We could continue to compete for less and less of that. We could continue to try to outdo our competitor by 1% or 2% or whatever in less time or for less cost. But it leaves 99% on the table. And I think we could probably all agree that the world needs more, better architecture. And we need to touch a lot more people. There's living conditions out there that are absolutely abhorrent architecture would benefit that. And so instead of thinking of these projects as one-off, I really do feel like the technology is going to help us achieve scale in the types of projects that we can actually produce. They don't all have to be perfectly designed diamonds in the rough, right? We can 
do more at a, at a lesser level because we have to do more of it and produce it at scale and really adopt pre-manufactured, modular, all of those things over stick-built construction that performs better over time. And there's still going to be special projects here and there, but I think that there's just so much that we leave on the table. If we kind of change our attitude and our perspective about what's available to us to be able to actually do and change the world, it's out there waiting for us. But we kind of choose to operate within this 1%. So first of all, you're my hero. Um, <laughs> second of all, there are people that hear me speak a lot in Entree Architect that are probably thinking that I just paid you to talk so much about value. <laughs> I didn't pay him. <laughs> no. Really smart. For that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Checks in the mail. Um, but, but I think it's, I think what you're talking about there is exactly right. You know, in, in a way you're talking about paradigm shift, right? Yeah. We, we have to think about things differently. Um, one of the things that I wonder, you know, as we, as we kind of swing towards the top of the hour here, who at this point, who is driving the change in the technology that we're using? And then the second part of that question is who should be driving that Yeah, that change? Yeah. So this was the twist, right? The twist was yeah. uh, the funny thing is like, we're, we're still just waiting around for technology companies or software developers to give us the tools to do the job. And for the most part, without our input. Now, of course, there's user groups and beta tests and all these things, and there's all kinds of surveys and things, but we're not directly involved in the creation of the tools that we use to produce our life's work, our career, everything that we do out there. Uh, and so I think that that's something that we have to, again, just take time away from doing the projects to wrangle ourselves and come together as a profession. And I don't know if the answer is the AIA. <laughs> it typically, it typically isn't the answer, but if we are the AIA, if we are the profession, um, we have to take that responsibility on for ourselves to not only develop the tools, but to develop the standards to which we should all be held to. Um, so it really comes down to, I just, that level of self-responsibility. And is that an easy problem? No, that is like a super wicked problem. Right. Right. But, yeah. uh, um, but we, I think we can all see what that could potentially look like. And I think we could all agree that there probably is a way to get there, but we all have to be willing to take part in that. Right. I, I was going to, someone else was saying earlier, like how much resistance you actually get. You were talking about how people don't want to change. Mm -hmm. um, and less than a hundred, someone else said that a hundred, less than a hundred percent commitment makes, makes it a really difficult transition mm -hmm. to anything new. Right. So how do you get everybody on board with the idea and how much resistance do you get? People wanted to know in your company, I guess would reflect. Yeah. Lots, lots of resistance. I mean, I mean, yeah, there people do struggle with change for sure, right? They, they struggle with, uh, it's kind of that fight or flight mentality, right? It's, uh, it's very much a, a feeling of potential obsolescence. But I think true leadership is enabling those under you to take your place. And if you can do everything you can to get out of their way, you are doing this profession a service. If you're doing everything you can to remove the red tape, I should say. Um, I had a, a mentor and it wasn't an architecture office. It was actually working at Apple who said, you know, my job as your manager is to remove red tape and stay out of your way. 
because he saw that potential and he saw my intrinsic motivation that I, cause I wanted to do big things. And that was the first time I'd ever actually seen leadership is when somebody said that, because I think usually people are struggling to have ownership and authorship. They want to be the ones holding the pencil um, because they think that that's the most meaningfully meaningful thing that they can do is to be that author. But I think uh, to really take a second look at that, take a hard look at that and say, how can I actually affect, how can I scale up? The only way to scale up is like, there's no clone machine for yourself, right? And if if you're that person who can enact change or enable others to do it, that's what you have to take the responsibility to do and show that leadership. So I think working in firms, it is that selfless servant mentality that you have to use to enable others to do their best. That's the only way to actually scale this up to get enough people involved to make a difference. You know, I, I think as as I'm sitting here listening, uh, you know, so many great points and, and so much great conversation here. One of the things that strikes me going back to what you just said a minute ago and, and talking about change is that, um, Many, many architects, maybe they've never heard the, the idea of working on your business, not mm-hmm. in your business or, you know, a, a large percent of the time. And I, I think that's one of the the big issues. You know, there there are a lot of people that, that you know, whether AI is a part of the conversation, not a part of the conversation, you know, clients are the reason, whatever. We have to, as a collective, we have to work on the business of architecture and mm-hmm. what you're talking about and some of these changes and some of the paradigm shifts that would, would have to happen. Um, you know, even going back to the risk aversion of the, of the profession and all those things that you talked about with contracts tied to, you know, the, the information um, making it essentially, I guess, less risky. Um, we, we've got to work on the business of architecture. And this is one of the playing fields I think that we have to get onto is the technology playing field. Um, you know, we, we've talked and we talked offline about this as well. Uh, Neil Leach, excuse me, Neil Leach has written a couple of books on AI and architecture. He spoke to, um, spoke to my uh, pro practice class last semester. And I, I don't know why this surprised me, but he, he, he talked about the fact that what's going to cause architects to adapt, adopt uh, AI is clients. It's going to be client demand for this. Yeah. And you said something, you know, earlier that struck me. It's we can sit back and we can wait for someone to say, Hey, I now require the deliverables to be this, or uh, I now require this, or I want you to use this, or can we take control of it? Like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, and I know we haven't talked a lot about technology here, but that the, in order to use that well and to use it effectively and to get to that point, I really do feel like there's kind of a reckoning of, really foundational elements that have to be put in place rather than treating tech like it's a bandaid on top mm-hmm. of a already broken system. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, obviously we all practice in different ways. And those of us who are in one to five person firms, we're often working on residential 
projects and not hospitals and that sort of thing. But yeah. I, I mean, in my experience, my clients were the ones asking me ahead of me adopting a way for them to see it in 3D, like the, the BIM. They they wanted to know if I could do that because they'd seen it on HGTV, which I know we're not supposed to bring up around here. But I mean, that's the reality. That's what they're watching, right? And that's Careful. What they want. You'll get canceled here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's what in my experience, anyway, my clients drove me to to adopt that. And because I'm yeah. only one person, it was easy enough for me to change the culture of my firm to adopt it. So, and it's never been easier to learn than than it has, is right now, right? There's just so many yeah. resources out there. It doesn't mean it's yeah. it, you, you still have to wade through a bunch of crap, right? Mm-hmm. But but there is some really good stuff. And and one of the reasons in our digital practice at HMC identified early on, and I think this really comes from my experience teaching, was like every school is teaching differently. And they're not teaching technology. They're really leaving it up to the students to figure it out on their own. So they're watching a YouTube. They're watching LinkedIn learning. They're picking up tips and tricks and they're doing whatever works to get the deadline done. Um, so they're coming to a firm with all of these really bad habits. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's just how it is. And firm, like, I think the misconception is that firms hire students because they're whiz with technology. And the truth is, like, I want them to learn my way of doing it so that they do it the HMC way, right? So that if they drop off, somebody else can pick it up and know exactly where they are. Um, Students can pick up any piece of software. They are like a sponge. It's native, right? That doesn't matter if they have skills already or not. So what we did was we, we created what we call our digital Academy and the goal of our digital Academy. And I think this is pretty rare at a firm. Like most firms don't do training at all because they think they're investing in somebody who's going to leave. And it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, the adage is, well, what if they, what if you don't and they stay, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And and then there's other ones who just rely on LinkedIn learning or YouTube or whatever. And and it's it's on you, nights and weekends. Good luck. I hope you you can help us uh, with our technology challenges, right? Um, we, We took the other point of view, which is we're going to create a group that will help raise the digital IQ of everybody in our company because we're all in this together and it's our company, right? And we all want to be able to be more flexible and adaptive to projects. So we want to be able to have three people on this week and seven people on the next week. And we want to be able to share work amongst our 350 locations, right? So how do we do that? Well, we have to have standards and stuff, but we also have to have everybody know the software at a certain level and we have to come up together. So, and, and I realize like a lot of this stuff isn't for everybody in a firm. Like there was a comment earlier about, you know, having the, you have a gift, you have a talent, you should use it. I totally agree. I'm not saying this is for everybody. Um, I just think that there is a level of leadership that we see not happening in so many firms because everybody has their heads down and they're busy and they're not coming up for air and looking at that total landscape of where the heck are we going? Right. It's like, it's not just where are we going today or tomorrow, but where are we going to be in five years? Even if it's wrong, how are we going to start to make moves to get there? Um, And, and so investing in your people, intentionally investing in your people is a huge way to help do that. Yeah, because it's it's frustrating to try to change, learn a new program, even just on a basic level. And you want to go back to the old thing that you've always used. And so having that would be really helpful. Someone said it is for some people, but there's other people who are just like, I can't wait to learn a new program. Right. <laughs> so right, right. you can't treat everybody like I think we we've all been a victim of leadership that want that somebody expects us to be just like them. Yeah. Right. So it's really about 
trying to find those those goals and aspirations in everybody. And even though they're all going to be different, unlocking those so that they can really fly. That that's a that's a really great point. And I you know, I think I was thinking about Catherine's comment a minute ago, you know, the HGTV, right, Catherine? Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. is where your your clients see it. Wouldn't it be great though if we were thinking how could I demonstrate this better? How could I help them understand this? You know, how could I communicate, make, yeah. communicate it? Because that is what it comes down to, right? On yes. every level, right. it's, it's all, yep. all communication. Oh, for sure. That's why it's such a great tool. And I try to tell people who don't want to pay or they try to cut my fee by saying, I don't need the model. You can just show me the drawings, but I'm making the model anyway. So I refuse not to show them the model because, because mm. that really does explain the project. And, and even for me, I love seeing it in 3d like that because I, I, it helps me understand it better than, and I can read plans perfectly well. Of Absolutely. Course. Yeah. But um, I would love to the, uh, the idea of um, these, the goggles, the VR, the, um, what are they, the virtual reality goggles. Mm-hmm. And just sending them to someone. I mean, I guess now, since we don't really see them when just do it all virtually. I mean, being able to inhabit the space, one of your recent podcasts, the person was talking about the um, the disappointment of taking them off and being out, like the space is so real <laughs> when me. it's on. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's so true because I tried them on at last summer and I did, I was so, I was just kind of a little depressed when I took them off and had to give them to someone else who was their turn and like, oh, that was so awesome in there. Yeah. So yeah. I feel like I think... you could give that experience to people like, it's so awesome, this new hospital, there's new house right. or whatever. Yeah, it's really inspiring. Um, I think that's probably one of the best things about, you know, there's different modes you can work in VR. One is during design to help make decisions along the way. And the other part is the presentation part of it. I think they're both super valuable. Um, And now with with like an Oculus Quest 2 headset that you can just have sitting on your desk and you just pop it on and you can stay right where you are and you can jump into VR and you don't need any other special equipment. It's $299. It's not a big deal. I'm buying one tonight then. My mom got one for her birthday. Yeah. I mean, it's fantastic. (laughs) Right. Uh, And so, and so there's, because it has been democratized to that point that it, it is a valuable tool on so many levels, the Mm. presentation side of it to fully immerse people and put them in the driver's seat. It does two things. It, it lets them engage on a project like, like we said, when you take the goggles off, you're disappointed that you're back in your office. You actually are transported to that place. It is a yep. phenomenal experience. And if you haven't, you can't judge it if you've never tried it, right? True. You have to try it. The second one is a lot of people, this is, this is a side point, that a lot of people think that there's, no, there's a guarantee I'm going to get motion sick, whatever. It, it's not going to happen. Like for the most part, it is rock solid. There's a very small number of people now who actually get motion sick in VR that they finally figured it out. Um, the other point that I really wanted to make though, was that, um, it forces an honesty upon the architect. You can no longer curate a single view. You can no longer Photoshop the HVAC units off of the building. You Mm. can no longer add the special lens flare and just get it exactly right and get the color temperature. Like, and, but, but the beauty is as an architect, you don't have to go to that level. People will accept it at a much lower level because it is a process and it doesn't have to be photo real and you can go into VR. And what I mean by it forces and honesty is it lets them look wherever they want to look. And so you have to build the whole thing. Yeah. So, so if they ask a question, like, why is it like this? I mean, who better than to tell them why it's going to be like that than you, right? right. Uh, if yeah. you're, you're going to lead them through that, but it's an, an amazing way to communicate design. 
Absolutely. Yeah. That that's really interesting, and I and I know I, we could we could keep this conversation up for another yeah. hour, but um, I know some of you are gonna gonna want to or need to uh, log off here in just a few minutes. So uh, I do have one more burning question. If if Evan has a, another couple of minutes, um, but before that, for anybody that needs to to wig out here in just a second, I want to number one thank you for being here. Um, yeah. Thank you for being our audience and, Great questions. and uh, asking your questions and making your comments. That's what this is about. You know, this is a community and, and it's a conversation. So thank you for that. Um, if this is your first time on a Context and Clarity Live, I want you to know that there are a couple of other things going on. Uh, every morning, uh, what is it, Catherine? 12.01 a.m. 1201. or something. Um, um, the Context and Clarity daily podcast uh, comes out every single day. So you get a review of the conversation from the day before and a preview of the conversation for that day. So you can find context and clarity, the podcast, wherever it is that you consume podcasts. So check that out. And if you want conversations like this every day, every weekday, uh, inside the Entree Architect Community Facebook group, I host the context and clarity conversations 4 p.m. Eastern every weekday. And uh, tomorrow's topic, to give you a preview, is uh, what's your go-to resource for recruiting new hires? So speaking of hiring young people who are uh, digital uh, natives, how do you find them? How do you hire them? So what is your resource for, uh, for hiring new talent? So that's what we'll talk about is tomorrow's topic. So uh, if, you have to, if you have to check out at this point, we understand. I uh, hope you'll join me. Uh, tomorrow inside the Entree Architect Facebook group for that conversation. Evan, have you got another minute? Sure. All right. I've got a question. You said, and Catherine highlighted this earlier in the conversation too, uh, you said there's been more change in your firm over the last 18 to 24 months, even pre-COVID, pre-pandemic. You also said that now you've got 350 or so individual offices. So that's a lot of change yeah, 24, 18 months, a lot of change driven um, by global pandemic, ex, et, et cetera. Yeah. What do you think? What's going to be the, and this is, you know, this is pie in the sky <laughs> call for speculation, but okay. what do you think is going to be the next big um, uh, thing that changes the way that we use technology um, the way that we adapt technology. Um, do you see anything on the horizon where you say this is this is going to be a tipping point? That's a great question. I think I think the thing that I think is going to change our profession. Again, this isn't man. It's so hard for me to stay in the technology realm, even though it's what I talk about all the time. Because of the remote nature of everybody working. And I'm sure that this is pretty typical in the Entree Architect community where there's a lot of shared resources, people doing different stuff, working with a lot of different people, Uh, a lot of onesies and twosies out there who are able to, you know, my wife actually does that in the next room over. She works for, you know, five different architects and builds models for them and stuff. Um, Talent is going to really shift location because it's not, it's going to be, it is decoupled from location now. And so we're going to see a huge change, I think, in where talent migrates and that's going to change how people approach project work. 
because I think the best firms out there are going to be fully remote. And I know that there's, and I'm, I believe it myself that working together collaboratively is how architects need to work. Um, but I think that that's all going to be changing with new platforms and new tools that are out there. There's one, for instance, called TeamFlow. If you go to teamflow.com, I think that's what it is, um, or TeamFlow HQ, something like that, um, where they've actually added like a spatial layer to um, online meetings. And so, and they also take away like the scheduling aspect of it. So right now, like our firm, 350 people, you have to schedule every time you want to have a call with somebody. Right. So how do you learn through osmosis as an emerging professional from a senior project architect anymore? Are you just going to call them up or are you going to feel like you're intruding? Right. And I think a lot of people do feel like they're intruding when they're actually making a phone call nowadays, whether before, like everybody knew I would just call and the phone would ring and they would either pick it up or they wouldn't, Um, which is obviously still the case. But I think there's this extra layer of like, I'm intruding on people um, because we all know what it's like in this environment. We are on the calls all day long, every single day. Like that's what it's like. So this recent or this uh, team flow company, and there's several others out there as well have kind of taken this approach of open office, but it's a digital office. And you can go into rooms and have private conversations and it's kind of proximity based. So you can, as you get closer to somebody, you can hear them. And as you move away from somebody, you don't hear them anymore. And rooms have persistent media. So you can throw up a document in a room and you can throw up a whiteboard in a room. And when you come back to that room the next day, that stuff is still there, just like a real office, right? Instead of having to start from scratch with a new Zoom call every day. So, um, Evan, I'm sorry, does that, does that exist right now? Or you're saying that should exist? Does it? It it does. Yeah. The, the team flow company and there's several others out there who are doing that. Uh, And they, some are in various states of beta, but um, they're trying to onboard and scale up as fast as they can, because they know there's a huge need for this, right? If I'm an emerging professional and I want to hang out in a lounge on my computer while I'm drawing in Revit, so that I can overhear the conversation where my senior project manager is yelling at a contractor about something, I should be able to hear that. I'm going to learn a lot from that, even though it's not my conversation, which is what everybody experienced in an office before this. Yeah. Um, so you start to couple that with a remote company that can be anywhere. And you start to, I think, once again, realize why you work with the people that you work with. Right. Because I think a lot of people are like, huh, why do I work with all these people if, if we don't have to be in the same location? If my office can be anywhere, who do I want to work with? And you want to work with the best people and you want to work with people who are going to help you advance your career and continue your trajectory, not just pigeonhole you into doing the same thing over and over again because you're really good at it. Um, so all that to kind of go back to the beginning statement about remote companies, if remote companies attract the best talent, then companies who stay local are only going to get the B and C talent because those are the talent that's going to be near them. If they're going to force people to come into the office and do that, it doesn't solve all the problems. I just think this is a general topic. It's something that I'm kind of watching, but I think it's going to be an important one for us to keep our eye on is this pandemic, this catastrophe is forcing us to hopefully rethink why we do the work that we do, who we work with and for, and where that can happen. If we can start to decouple what we do with location and time, 
Mm. Um, we're going to see a huge migration in people working around. And I think that's going to fundamentally change the way that we practice because companies are going to be forced to change. And we all know that that's kind of the only way companies actually change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Is if they're forced to. Yeah. Well, never, there's never a waste to never waste a good uh, what they say never never waste a good catastrophe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that's that's a really. I'm going to have to check out TeamFlow. That that uh, yeah, that's amazing. That sounds really interesting. And that's uh, yeah. That that is it's solving uh, a real problem. Yeah. I, yeah. 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 I, that's. Like years ago, I, like in the 90s, when I was in graduate school, we would talk about who's going to be designing these online spaces when online stuff spaces were just starting. And um, yeah, so it's a subject that's been going you know around for a long time. So I'm amazed that um, something like that exists. So I'm going to definitely look yeah. that up. Yeah, and it's not it's kind of video game like kind of Zoom and Teams like kind of whiteboard like, you know, it's kind of got this special in incantation of all those different things into one platform. So uh, yeah. I, I'm hoping the best for it because I think it's going to be a, a game changer for, especially for creative professions like ours, where people yeah. do need to collaborate and work together um, to get to the, to the best solutions. So, so yeah, we've been doing some collaborating here just informally on zoom, working together, just mm -hmm. sitting there working at the same time together. And yeah. I wonder if like something like this, where people just, go there to work. Like we used to go to work at the library, yeah. just be around people and ask questions when they came up. Right. And to me, that's Absolutely. like a game changer right there. So yeah. It takes me well, out of my little basement. It, yeah. And I wonder too, you know, to that point, Catherine, uh, there was a, I think it was yesterday. I was reading an article that another one of the big co-working uh, conglomerates filed for, for bankruptcy protection. Um, so they're, you know, they're kind of falling off the cliff for obvious reasons does this become the new co-working model? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think one, one of the issues that like a firm like ours is going to see is, you know, when there is a shift back toward a hybrid model of some people work from home some days of the week and go into the office some days of the week and 350 schedules are clashing. Right. Um, the people who do stay home are still going to be kind of a, a, a level below of citizenship, right? Because they're not there in person. And mm -hmm. so you really need something that like one beautiful thing about the pandemic is it totally leveled the playing field. Everybody's an equal citizen when it comes to meetings and voice, as long as you're willing to speak up and ask a question or talk about something, you're, you have the exact same platform that everybody else does, where I think we all know instances before where three of us were in a conference room and one person wasn't. And that one person who wasn't in the conference room never spoke up. That's going to happen again. If we don't actively try to figure out how to solve that issue. Yeah. yeah. And that's again, why I think these fully remote companies are going to do a little bit better is because it just is the same playing field for everybody. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's, that brings up a whole nother topic. <laughs> we could, yeah. we could keep yeah. going with this for hours with, yeah. so, uh, uh, but we probably shouldn't. So, Evan, thank you. Thanks yeah, for thank you. Thanks it was for great. This conversation. Thanks Very for sharing exciting. all of your wisdom. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, this is Evan Troxel, co-founder, co-host of Arc Speak Podcast, also the host of the Troxel Podcast. He is the uh, 
Director of Digital Practice at HMC Architects. And one thing I didn't mention at the beginning, I should have done this, I forgot about it, but next week, it's interesting how we, when we plan out all of these shows, next week, our theme is really around startup, licensure, ARE, et cetera. And Evan is the author of ARE Hacks. So uh, it would have been great to have brought that up at the beginning of this conversation, but uh, maybe, uh, maybe we'll get you in one of these conversations next week at some point, but uh, thanks, Evan. Really appreciate you being here. And uh, Catherine, thank you for doing this again. Mm -hmm. And Catherine and I will do this again next week. Um, For those of you who have joined us for the first time again, thank you for being here. Thank you for, for, uh, uh, being a part of this conversation. We'll do this exact same format again next week, Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern across all the internet, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. And we'll have Ryan Willard, who is the host of um, Business of Architecture UK. He's an architect over in London. He'll be our guest. So look out for uh, us and Ryan next week. And then again, if you are part of the Entree Architect community, if you're an architect, if you're not part of the Entree Architect Community Facebook group, you should go over there. Join the group. If you're not a Facebook person, that's all right. I'm not either. The only thing I do on Facebook is uh, the context and clarity conversations on a daily basis there. And there's a link, entrearchitect.com slash group will take you directly to the Facebook group and you won't have to see any other part of Facebook. So if if that's what's holding you back, entrearchitect.com slash group, go straight into the group, join this conversation tomorrow. We're going to talk about resources to find and hire new talent. So check that out if you will. And again, thank you to all of you in the audience. Um, I know that your time is valuable. I know you're busy. Uh, You've taken and you've invested an hour of your time on this conversation. I really appreciate that. So we'll be back here again tomorrow. 4 p.m. Eastern, same bat time, same bat channel, 4 p.m. Eastern, uh, inside the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. I hope you'll join me then. Until then, please take care of yourself. Take care of those around you. Still a crazy world out there. We want to keep everybody safe and well. Take a little bit of time to breathe and relax. Come back again tomorrow rejuvenated and ready to get back at it. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks. Bye. If you want more of the Context and Clarity podcast delivered to you every weekday, subscribe wherever you consume podcasts. And if you love content like this, check out Gable Media. It's the multimedia network for people that care about the built environment, and it's the home of Context and Clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know you'll find something there that interests you. You can learn more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. So thanks for listening. I hope our time together has inspired you to think about your community and your practice and how you can support those around you. I'll be back here again tomorrow. And in the meantime, I hope you'll join me and the Entree Architect community on Facebook. The link is entrearchitect.com slash group. That's where every weekday at 4 p.m. I host Context and Clarity Conversations. And we take these topics, the topics that you hear about in this daily podcast episode, and we dig deeper. We have a conversation in real time so we can help each other find more clarity around the topics that matter most, no matter 
what your context is. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.